Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. As you've heard, the podcast was 100% inspired by you and your Emmy speech. Uh, <laughs> you spoke about stepping out of line. Perry has muscular dystrophy. She's been on a ventilator since the age of two. And she's always been trying to fit in, in any world that she's in. Schoolless, and she never 100% fit in because how could you? It's just kind of difficult. And when you said those words, step out of line, ladies, and when she heard what your grandmother did, it clicked in her head that she has to step out of line and own it. Amazing to hear. I mean, that that speech was just what I wanted to say, and I had no idea it would resonate with so many people. And, and you know, for me, it was a very personal thing that I wanted to 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 share and and have that moment kind of with my mom and my grandmother wherever she is. So it's just a bonus that it it really resonated with so many people. Alex, how have you stepped out of line in your life, and in your case, to honor your grandmother? How have you carried on the legacy? It fits hand in hand with addressing, you know, you Perry's saying that you felt like you didn't fit in and it was hard to try to fit in. I think if anyone feels like they fit in, they may be peaking too soon. I think fitting in is people can just relax into a hammock and I don't want that. I want to be in a slingshot and and to fly and reach for different and better things. I think fitting in is overrated. I've never really fit in. Maybe that was kind of the first way I stepped out of line at a young age. I just didn't, I didn't really care to kind of be in one particular group or another, or I straddled different people and different friends. I really only had one best friend growing up. She's still my best friend. I don't know. Maybe that was the beginning of, of stepping out of line. And then just, I think little, they're little incremental baby steps that were all stepping further and further out of line. I was raised in a family that we all kind of operated out of fear. You have to do something that's tangible with your career, make a choice that's going to be easy, that has a designated path. And I didn't really do that. I, I, I went to college. I studied rhetoric. I started a master's. I thought that I would maybe be a lawyer or I studied, you know, I knew I wanted to persuade people with words in some fashion. Probably the biggest step out of line was deciding to perform and seeing if I could really make a living doing that. And I did have an advertising job. I was a little bit conscious of trying to have something I could fall back on that everyone tells you, which is terrible to hear when your parents are like, make sure you have something to fall back on. That means they're anticipating your fall. That's what it sounds like. But the reality is now that I'm a parent, I realize you just want to, to care for this little bird that's yours. You want to have every safety precaution that you can have. But I really didn't listen. I was never conventionally pretty. I never had a hot body. I'm five feet tall. 
you know, all the odds were kind of against me in terms of being an on-camera actress. Things have changed a lot now. There's so much, I think people are, there's way more diversity and there's way more acceptance of, of women and girls that don't look um, conventionally camera ready. But at the time that I was starting, it was still a little bit very narrow, you know? Um, but I just did it anyway, because I figured even if I tried to become a lawyer, I might fail at that. You know, it was just a bit much of a chance of me failing the bar uh, as not being able to get a job as an actress. And and if if I'm gonna fail, I wanna do it while I'm in my 20s and 30s. And, right. and while I still regroup and have energy. And so I just kind of went for it. Comedy was the path that you decided that that was your niche, that's what you were going to do. Did you always? feel that comedy kind of finds you it's not a choice I made I grew up with you know we have a genetic um, disability in our family we have hemophilia and I grew up with a brother you know who was dealing with that his whole life and an uncle and I was the youngest and my role was kind of to be the comic relief you know to always try to break that tension in the hospital I'd be silly I would do voices I would so comedy just kind of picks you I think um I think actresses can learn to be comedic but I think sometimes it's just in your bones as an expression of having funny bones and for me it was kind of um it just was the way it was any play that I was in as a kid I would end up getting cast as the grandmother or the funny this or the clown or the gesture or the so that's kind of it found me did you have comedic role models when you were younger? Like I used to watch Lucille Ball and not be able to watch her because she was so funny. It was painful. I had a, it reminds me of the scene that you did in Maisel when you were dancing, the final goodbye show. And when I saw you come out with your outfit on and you were dancing, I I couldn't watch it because it was like a Lucille Ball yeah. for me. It was so funny. It was painful. We was That was very Lucille. I never really thought about that that way, but it very much a Lucy moment. It's like this woman oh. is is her. Yes, it was slightly so funny. Lucy was always the one trying to do it, whereas whereas Susie would have given anything not to have to do it. Oh. But my my I really was a massive Peter Sellers fan, uh, Steve Martin, Madeline Kahn, Gilda Radner. You know, of course, I knew Lucy and watched Lucy, but like. I really, really was was nuts for those those people and Richard Pryor and people that were kind of doing a play on comedy themselves. You know, Steve Martin's stand-up was almost a character of a stand-up that he was doing. Gilda Radner did characters on Saturday Night Live and Madeline Kahn would play these hilarious characters, but she would do it completely straight. You know, she was really just performing straight and it was such a funny juxtaposition. So, yeah, I really and Peter Sellers, his character work. I mean, those were a lot of my my idols growing up. We were extremely fortunate to luck into getting tickets to the taping of your one woman comedy special in July, which is where you saw Perry and myself in person. Was it as much fun? For you as it was for your audience listening to you it was it was a culmination 
so much work. You know, I started doing that show with the guys in Barcelona. We started maybe 2018, you know, really doing shows in Barcelona. And then we went all over Europe and did them. And it, it kept growing and changing in the writing. I mean, the writing changed up until the days we shot the show. And the fact that it's going to be on Amazon feels like, oh, that's a bonus. But for me, those nights were the culmination. That was like what, what you do this for. Those are the most gratifying experiences where you have live audiences. It's something you've grown from start to finish. It's, it's like a, you know, a high wire act. It's just you out there. There's no one to blame. Right. Something doesn't right. And it's high stakes and it's, it's thrilling. I loved it. It was really fun. And we're still editing it and it's going to be out in, in early 2023. Your Susie Myerson character, who was extremely memorable, extremely quirky, sharp as a tack and vulnerable at the same time. When you're presented with a character, on paper, it's one thing. You make it come alive. I've known Dan and Amy for a long time. Dan Palladino, who's married to Amy Sherman Palladino, he ran the writer's room on Family Guy, and I was a writer on Family Guy. He was the one who first said, you should read my wife's pilot. It's called Gilmore Girls. And then I auditioned for Gilmore Girls, and that's how I met Amy. And so it's been 25 years I've known these people. And Amy, when she was developing the show, told me about Maisel and I was like, oh, that's amazing. And here's what I'm working on. And we commiserated over lunch. Then when the script was ready, I was about to move to Barcelona and she was like, are you really moving? And I said, yeah, I think I'm going, I, I need a break. I want to go to abroad for a year and put my kids in school and have a change. As you saw in my show, that's what I did. And she's like, well, read this. Maybe, maybe you want to do this pilot, maybe. So she wrote it. She kind of had a me type in mind. It wasn't written for me, but she knew me and had the idea that perhaps I'd, I'd do well at it. So, so it was written, you know, a tiny bit leaning towards me. And, but then when I, when I read it, I knew immediately, this is a great fucking character and a great script. And of course I have to do this, which created chaos for me just moving to Barcelona I had to fly back and audition and I had to fly back to shoot the pilot and then it got picked up to series and then I was going back and forth and I had a chance to see a few other people's auditions for Susie and that blew my mind because in my head there was only one way she possibly could have been done which is what I did that's when I read it this is what I heard that's the music I heard and that's what I did and that's it and then it, it builds and builds and the more you play her the more quirks and things you find and the more Amy writes to those quirks. And so you're both kind of layering her as the seasons grow. But when I saw other people's auditions, you realize, oh, that really was a whole character. I, I had no idea there was other possibilities of ways to do her. People did her very straight or there was no New York to her or there was she was just kind of angry all the time and, and not funny, or it was very eye-opening to see that what I think is, oh, that's the only choice you could make. Like, no, 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 that was what my brain did and what my body did. It was my very specific choice. You're not even aware of it. It just kind of, it just kind of happens. You know, I worked on a show called Getting On and the character I played on that show was much more bouncy and optimistic and desperate. And 
and kind of always <laughs> a little bit on edge. And Susie playing her, I definitely found myself in grumpier moods and a little bit of a downer on the set. It definitely affects you that the, you throw on the clothes and you start holding your posture a little bit differently. You, I walk a little bit differently. My gestures become different. So it's not something I decide, but it just does kind of happen. As you put on the clothes and step onto the sets, you kind of become this other person a little bit. We both agreed our favorite line of the show when you said that you just, you don't want to be insignificant. Mm -hmm. and, I don't alone, but I don't want to be insignificant. Right. It's not that it's not all the shit you can't do. Like ignore it. You have to ignore that. Susie's ignore all of that. Here's what I can do. And here's what I'm going to do. And that's how I'm going to be significant. And that's, that was a cool lesson I took from her too. You're doing somebody else's writing, but you mentioned you layered part of the character as well. Did you ever ad lib? Amy is very strict about the scripts. There's sometimes when we're at the table read, you know, the first time we get the script, which is usually very late. And then the next day we all sit around a big table and read the script aloud. And there are some people from the show in attendance. So you get a little bit of feedback from a quasi audience and you read it aloud for the first time at that table. Most of the script 99.8% of the script that you read at that table is exactly what we do when we shoot. Amy changes very little. She works long and hard to make it exactly what she wants. But during the table, if there's something I think would have a different flair or Susie might say something a little differently, I'll just go for it. I'll do it a little bit differently. I'll put the F words in a different place or I'll you know, reverse something or add a little something, or there's a long beat. Um, I try those things at the table, and then you'll know if they're in the script, if she liked it or not. And then when you're on the set, there's moments, especially physically, that I would like to come up with and, and would help make the, the moments very real for me. There's things that, that were not scripted that just became funny, became like half of the comedy in the scene because it was like, this is what I think my body would be doing. A number of classes in Adelphi University, many discussions on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So you are being studied in university. <laughs> I did not know. You see? It's wild. The key is, um, you know, the time that I was auditioning for the character in the same time, um, I had seen a musical called Fun Home which was on Broadway. It was written by a woman who's a graphic artist, a cartoonist, and growing up, she's a lesbian, and growing up with her father, who was closeted, um, and he worked at a funeral home. So she grew up in a funeral home as the backdrop to her childhood. And it's this really beautiful musical. It's so well done. There's characters that play her at several different ages. And the first moment when she's a very little girl, when she kind of first realizes her sexuality is different is a woman walks into a diner and she's a janitor or something clearly in Doc Martens rolled up jeans. And she talks about this huge ring of keys that she has on her pants, clipped onto her pants. And she sings this beautiful ballad about this ring of keys. And 
I loved this musical and I loved that song. And at the time that Susie came to me and I auditioned, as soon as I got the part, I talked to Amy and I said, I want to have, I feel like I have a hat and I want to have like keys. I wanted to wear keys around her neck. I want like everything she owns to be on her and like close to her heart. Like, that's what I want. And Amy was like, oh, okay, weirdo, whatever. Like, <laughs> I was so aggressive about it, but but that's where it came from. It was interesting how it became such a Susie thing that those keys were, she slept in them sometimes or in scenes, you'll see them hanging right, right next to her on the lamp and as she progresses throughout the seasons the keys and what's on it changes if you're paying attention after Jackie passes and she discovers that he served in the army found his dog tags she right. then adds one of his dog tags to the necklace and wears that forever and so it was neat it was kind of a, a, a weird little small thing that meant a lot to me in the character what are you most proud of that of all of the work that you've done, all of the shows that you've worked on? What would you say would be if you can pick something? It's like picking a child, you know? They're all your babies. What do you pick? They are. The show that I did for HBO called Getting On was at a time in my life that was, I started the show a month and a half after I gave birth to my daughter. So I was still like breastfeeding and out of my head and emotional and hormonal and my body didn't feel like mine I was and and that show and that character really grounded me and 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 during the course of the three seasons we had I then got divorced like I split in the last season that I was there I was now not you know Amer it was this cocoon almost where I, I really changed during the course of that show and so I think it was it was seminal for me in that in that regard. It was a pivotal time and, and that character is so special. And I think I was, because I had just had a kid, I was so emotionally vulnerable. I was able to do things as an actress I'd never really done before. And it 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 kind of helped. I don't know, it 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 almost trained me. And it was uh it made me emotionally limber in a way I hadn't had before. So that really stands out. And it was three seasons and they were six episodes a season and we shot them over the summer very quickly. So it was almost like a camp experience. We all were on one location and it was very tight uh, and fast and, and just incredibly satisfying in so many ways. So that stands out, but they're all, I'm proud of I'm proud of most everything. So many of us are scared to take the next job because it's not going to compare. My thinking is the next thing I do is just going to have to be a huge left turn, something so different, not even attempting to recreate what I had with Maisel. But I have not watched the series and I've seen a few episodes and my plan is to wait till my daughter is old enough that she's interested and I want to sit and watch it with her. Well, don't do that with Bridgerton with her because oh, Perry yeah. and I watch it together and it's not a good idea. <laughs> but once you do that, you can really do anything. I enjoyed Bridgerton. That was, it was fun. Yeah, it is a little bit like soft porn with costumes, but yes. yes. I hope when you see it with your daughter, I hope you get as much joy watching it as you did being in it. I think I'll probably get more. Being in it was was 
not joyful. I mean, it was amazing. It was an incredible experience, but it was hard. It was right. so hard. It, it was just physically tiring. You know, you're shooting for 13 to 16 hours a day and the lines, there's so many lines to learn and I'm old. The older I get, the harder it is. And I was away from my kids. It was really challenging and could be very lonely at times. And, and the characters dark and angry. And so sometimes it was really hard, you know, not, I mean, obviously I'm the luckiest woman in the world to have a job like that. It wasn't just lightness, you know, it was, it was a lot, a lot of work, but worth it. And the challenge is what makes it thrilling, you know, I, an easy, if I was on a show that was, you know, a sitcom that was very, very easy, I don't think I would feel any satisfaction at the end of the day for me at this age right what I want now is much more challenge was it the cucumber that got you I I did get a cucumber I do remember that now <laughs> I think that's the first and only cucumber I've received what was the the clincher um I don't know I think I think it's in a time right now where so many asks are politically motivated so many things, so many people come saying, can you, you know, speak to this candidate or can you do this or can you do a podcast to sell this or sell that? And I'm, I'm kind of so sick of that. I'm so sick of everything being this large machine. I like that this is very grassroots. I like that you're persistent because um, that's what it takes. And I don't no, it just rang true to me. I think, you know, maybe also that feeling of, of, I know how hard it is to be heard when you feel like you don't fit in. And yeah, that probably made a difference. Aww. And I like my shirt. You know, I, I sleep in my t-shirt all the time, so. Love that you're of Hungarian descent, as are we. We come from a, a very strong line of strong, determined Hungarian women. I wouldn't want it any different. I think Perry inherited uh, that strength also as well. We're also all crazy. 